Welcome to the OK Productive Podcast, where we obsess over productivity so you don't have to. You can find us on social media at OK Productive on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Today, we're having a special guest named Pete Senna. Pete, welcome to the show. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Of course. So I am a designer developer. I spent most of my career doing that and then went on to start a digital agency called Digital Surgeons. And uh, I think I met some of you folks through the Peers Conference. Love what Jess is doing, obviously, building up that community. And obviously, Craft CMS is, is something that I think has brought many great people and organizations together. So that's uh, super stoked to be here and see how I can hopefully talk about productivity with some folks today. Yeah, I really loved your talk, Pierce. You really highlighted creativity and how important it is. So I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk about creativity and how you integrate that into your life and your responsibilities and being you know, CEO and being productive while being creative at the same time. Awesome. So do you want me to sort of dive right into that? Well, I noticed that not only you're a CEO, but you're also chief creative officer. Before we dig in too much, I was wondering if you could share what some of the responsibilities of the uh, chief creative officer entail. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to say to the audience here is labels are, I think, important, but they're also very limiting. So I want to just put that out there for everyone listening to this great podcast. It really ask everyone to think about how people are labeling you and how you're labeling yourself and how those labels both describe you and define you, but also limit you. So we're a boutique organization. So a lot of the folks on our team wear a lot of hats. So I am one of our co-founders. My original co-founder has now sort of stepped up to run the helm at one of our other venture businesses because we own a couple of different businesses. And I've since stepped up as the sort of managing CEO and creative officer at Digital Surgeons. So just to speak to that, so what that means is just I want to take the buzzwords aside for everybody listening today. You know, basically what that means is really my responsibility is to set the overall vision for the organization and for our respective departments and make sure that I see myself as almost like a plow. And the plow is sort of in this metaphor is really like my job is to identify obstacles for for people on my team and then remove those obstacles. I'm blessed that I have just a brilliant, brilliant group of people that are really passionate and motivated and massively skilled at what they do. So that makes my life a lot easier for one. But really as the chief creative officer, it's about setting the creative vision, understanding where the market's going, and then making sure that we have the tools, the people, and the vision to get to where we're going as a company. So on some days, that means that I'm spending a lot of time in listening sessions or co-creation sessions, where we're sort of spending a lot of time together in person or on Zoom calls, and really just asking lots of questions, having lots of productive discussions. And then some days, that means sort of jumping in to help fill in the blanks if we're a little overstretched. So you know, I'm jumping into Keynote or Photoshop, Illustrator, Sketch, whatever I have to do. That's sort of the role that I play right now. Obviously, I'm not nearly as hands-on in my day-to-day as I used to be because I have, as I mentioned, just a brilliant group of people that are really focused on the individual contributor aspects of the business. So really, just wanted to make sure that my title didn't create a label for me that limited me or folks listening to this conversation. I think that's great. That's something that I don't get to uh, talk to someone who is a creative officer on a day-to-day basis. So having that little extra context will help me out too. Do you mind if I follow up with another sort of uh, semantic type of question? No, let's do it. I'm I'm an open book. I always tell people, if you ask the right questions, be careful of what you'll get. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So while I was thinking of some questions to ask you, something that I noticed typing out the words 
creative creativity, productivity is, you know, at this very base level, the ideas of like creating and producing seem pretty similar. But then I think of very different things when I imagine what it means to be creative versus productive. I suspect that's something that you probably encounter a little bit more of day to day than I do. Would you mind digging into like what you imagine as like the intersection of those two terms and where they're different? Absolutely. So I, I tell people a lot of times that I'm creatively productive. And I sort of say that with a smile. I think there's a really interesting seesaw between efficiency and effectiveness in both our lives and in our work. I sort of don't see things as like work or personal for me. I believe that we're all doing some type of our life's work. Some of us are blessed in that we get to do it a bit more than others. I feel really privileged to be able to do what I love every single day. And you know, that's not to say that it's all rainbows and sunshine, because I think that you know, you've got great days and, and tough days. But I think to answer your question, one of the things I learned as a bit of a life hacker and a biohacker is in pursuit sometimes of efficiency and finding more sort of hacky ways to get things done. I think sometimes it really helps to focus on the effectiveness or the goal of the outcome. You know, for me, I think of creativity as something that really, for me specifically, is heavily rooted in curiosity. So I'm always asking questions both to myself and inside my head, as well as to Google and to, to my colleagues and my clients. And I feel like those questions often lead to conversation. And those conversations for me really leads to you know what Steve Jobs used to say, you know, creativity is just connecting things. I love that quote. Have you guys heard that? Yeah. That reminds me of the idea, like, there is no such thing as original content. Everything is a remix. I don't know who said that quote, but it's the same idea of, like, you're not just making things out of thin air. You're connecting pieces together. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that ideas aren't original. They're just remixed thoughts and manifestations in some way, shape, or right, form. So exactly. not, not to get overly meta, but I, I mean, I totally identify with what you're saying. You know, I came across a quote the other day that really, it's an Isaac Newton quote. I think it embodies a lot of what I believe great creatives possess. And I'm by no means am I saying I'm a great creative, but I definitely feel like I've studied with or for some great creatives. And really the Isaac Newton quote says, my powers are ordinary, only my application brings me success. So when I think about productivity and what works for me, and again, what works for me might not work for you guys here on the podcast or the audience, but I think experimentation is really important because what works for one person is you know, going to not work perfect for someone else. But when I think about productivity, for me, I always think about what are the objectives that I have to achieve? And then I'm all about finding the best path to get to the objective. And the best path is not always the shortest path. And in some cases, it's definitely not a straight line. So what I really like to do is encourage the environment or the space to really create those types of discussions and environments. And certainly like we all operate in a deadline-driven industry. No matter if you're a plumber or a chief creative officer at, a, at an agency, like we're all operating under some type of deadline in this sort of real-time world, right? So I think when we think about productivity, what it really comes down to, I think, is how people are pro at their craft. So good, one thing that drives me crazy when I walk, I do a lot of kind of speaking gigs and that sort of thing. It's one of the great things about being in the, the job I'm in now I get asked to go speak to some students or other agency owners or other agency folks. And one of the things that drives me crazy is when they give me a tour of their creative department. And I'm going to focus this primarily on just the creatives on the call, or it could be developers as well. And I see people in the tools. So in this case, let's say Adobe Creative Cloud, and I'm watching them like move their mouse to the menus and click the buttons because they haven't learned the keyboard shortcuts. So for me, you can be as creative as possible, but 
if you don't understand the shortcuts, that's where that productivity is going to be lacking, right? So if you don't have keyboard shortcuts to the program you're using every day, think about the amount of time and energy that you're having to expel to mouse over to those menus and click on the dropdowns to get the things that you need to do. So if you're a designer, maybe that's not knowing you know, what button switches from the move tool to the rectangle to. If you're a coder, maybe that button is you know, tabbing between different code files that you might be editing in your IDE as an example. So for me, I, I think productivity really stems from understanding what are the repetitive things that you have to do every day no matter what, and then what are the unique things. So I like to sort of be lazy with the way that I think about things because everything requires energy. I mean, even this conversation requires energy. So I don't know if that's helpful or kind of in line with what you're hoping to get out of that question, but I'm happy to back in or reframe if it's... It does. It helps a lot. And do you think it's fair to say that productivity in a creative space is finding ways to improve on techniques to do creative tasks? Absolutely. I think one of the things that is missing, though, from our world today, you know, with all the sites like Musly and, you know, Envision obviously just bought them recently. But I think with all the ways now that you can get templates and shortcuts and that sort of thing online, I mean, you can go to a site like ThemeForest and buy a template that might have taken me five years ago, maybe three weeks to do, and you can buy it for 20 bucks on ThemeForest. I think what sets apart good creatives from great creatives is the level of critical thinking that one could bring to the table. I mean, you know, with the marketplace being much more global now, with there being all these online goods marketplaces, I mentioned ThemeForce is one, but sites like Upwork where you can hire folks by the hour, by the task, like Fiverr. We don't use a lot of those tools. We do almost everything in-house, but to put that out there. But one thing I do want to put out there is with the market changing, I think we as creatives, we as entrepreneurs, and we as just humans in general have to identify what value is and what our value is. And, and I believe that in a world where artificial intelligence and you know, uberfication of everything is a part of where society is going. I think the one thing that computers and marketplaces can't produce or can't recreate rather is that ability to apply critical thinking. And that for me is where I look at productivity as a metric that's absolutely important, right? You can't just be kicking the football around all day. But you know, one of the things that uh, I was walking through my creative team the other day and a couple of the creatives were just sitting on the couch and they just turned a video game on. And you know, obviously my producers were probably concerned about that saying, well, are they going to get their job done today? You know, or we're not building the client for that time. Don't worry, we weren't. So if you're a client, we did not bill you for that time. <laughs> but what, what I do think is creating that space for ideas to marinate, creating that space for just organic discussion, while that might not seem productive, I think what that does is it activates different parts of the brain. There's lots of science on it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a blog called Farnham Street. No, I've actually not heard of that. Farnham Street is an incredible, incredible blog. I think it was Shane Parrish, who's the guy who curates and writes a lot of the content. But he talks a lot about mental models. There's a lot of science on his blog, Farnham Street, F-A-R-N-A-M. And I'm a huge fan of it. I always put people onto it that might not have heard of it. He's a Canadian guy. He dives into just the science of a lot of these types of things. So where I struggle with productivity is I feel like sometimes in search for efficiency, we drive ourselves insane versus those who are a bit more honed. I mean, for example, myself, I might be able to come up with a tagline in you know 10 minutes if I've got the right context. It might take one of my more junior creatives you know, a week to come up with that same caliber tagline. It's not because I'm better than that particular person. It's just that I've spent 20 years honing and building these skills. So when you combine sort of because at some point you get to like an economies of scale, right? Where it's like 
over time, once you've used a program for a certain period of time, you can create things faster in that program. Once you've done a certain type of thinking, whether it's lateral thinking or systems thinking, your brain can solve problems much faster based on the access it has to information or wisdom. But I think the problem with most people is they get so obsessed with productivity. And believe me, I was that person for a while. Actually, I've written about it on my Medium page, which is just at Pete Senna. I was so obsessed with productivity that I ended up becoming massively inefficient a couple of years ago. I had like, I had a shortcut everything. So I had, you know, Zapier for automating certain tasks and I had all the keyboard shortcuts and like all the stuff you could think about. But what ended up happening is I spent all this time designing systems for my systems for my systems. When the reality was if I just had maybe like a third of the systems and stop changing the systems, I would actually be more productive and get more shit done. Yeah, I think it's like a trap amongst folks like us, especially developers, is like the idea of automating everything. It can be, we did a whole episode on the productivity trap and how like people just want to automate, automate, automate. After a while, you spend more time maintaining your automations than you do actually creating anything. You just explained what I was trying to explain in a much faster, better way. So I'm grateful for the productivity <laughs> there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a, definitely a trap that a lot of folks like us who are, you know, with some sort of programming background end up doing. Sure. How do you define critical thinking and then how do you practice or nourish that muscle, so to speak? I love that question. Thank you. So how I would define it is probably like a really bad dictionary definition. But like for me, what critical thinking is, is just really clearly listening to the intention of the person that is saying or writing something. And and certainly understanding intention is a big speculation. It's one of the reasons why as humans, we don't communicate very well in most cases. But I think (laughs) what I attempt to do with critical thinking is really process the thought and try to make some connections from what is being said, where I'll use you know metaphor or similes to be like, what is this like? Oh, okay, so this is like Die Hard in space. Okay, well, that's you know an alien movie or something, right? But like, I think critical thinking for me is as much about creativity as, as anything else. It's just deeply examining something and, and applying both a mix of logic and reason to something. So I, at ZS, we call it heart and head. One of my creative directors just wrote a really good book. If you're looking for a good book to read, it's called Write Dumb. And it's just like, it's hilarious. It's by James Dowd and really cool artwork on the cover as well. When I read the book, I was laughing because he's saying so many simple things in there, but it's like, it's so true on the act of thinking is critical and critical thinking is just thinking, right? I think sometimes we as humans can get really literal And I think just stepping back and investigating a message or something like that is how I would define critical thinking. What was the second question connected to that? Yeah, how do you nourish the muscle when it comes to critical thinking? So if you wanted to run a marathon, how would you uh, prepare for it? I've done a half marathon. So I start just running a mile or running around the block and then keep going longer and longer distances. That's essentially how I was able to get up to the, whatever, 13.1 miles. Awesome. So, yeah. You, sir, are a badass. So <laughs> I answered your question with a question, but it was sort of by, done by intention. For me, how do you nurse critical thinking, I think, is just by thinking critically. And I know that sounds very cliche, but let me give you a, a more specific example of how I do that in my teams. And I think that that might be valuable for your audience, if I can be more specific. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So one of the things that we do a lot is we do these different brain games or these exercises. So I'm sure you guys are familiar with the design thinking, at least as a buzzword. So we spend a lot of times going through different exercises. 
a good example of it is one of the things that we're doing when we're ideating on new startup ideas. We do a lot of digital product work for a lot of our clients. And one of the things we're doing when we're coming up with new, new product ideas is we basically make three columns. And if you remember it, I did a similar exercise to this in my peers talk where I basically just took three different columns of kind of inputs that the audience gave me. And then basically I had a game of mix and match. So when you start to connect together, you know, we'll just we'll just do one together. If the first column is audience, and let's just say it's uh, fathers of five-year-olds, because just to be specific <laughs> to today's call, right? So my audience is fathers with five-year-olds. Let's say the second column is, let's say, technology, right? And, and maybe the thing we're going to pick here is iPhone, just for purposes of this discussion here. And we'll do a critical thinking exercise together. And then maybe the third column is eliminating distractions. So if you were to combine these three columns, you know, how do fathers of five-year-olds with an iPhone eliminate distractions? Maybe that might start to get us to think about, okay, what are some things that would eliminate distractions for fathers of five-year-olds? You know, and we would just start kind of going to that. And it's like, well, what's a distraction? We'd sort of go down that pathway and just get the kind of the brains warmed up, throwing things out there, no pressure. And we might see things like a game or a video or some content would potentially eliminate distraction for the father of the five-year-old because the five-year-old takes the father's iPhone and maybe now instead of distracting his father, maybe he's playing a game on the iPhone. Maybe he's you know doing a puzzle or something on the iPhone. So that's just a really example where we apply critical thinking is we combine uncommon things or unconventional things. And then we basically bring them together, much like a DJ takes a rock and roll song and mixes it with a rap song. You know, and you've got Top 40, Old Town Road, which is that song that way too catchy, but really, really obnoxious by that little Nas X guy, which is like on every radio station I ever turn on. So thank you very much for that, Top 40. But yeah, that's how we apply critical thinking every day is I think it's, it's going through much like when you were training for that race, you're going through and you're doing that exercise to build up your endurance, to build up your running ability. I think the only way to develop the muscle is by using the muscle. So I find myself, you know, if I go away on a vacation and maybe I'm just really unplugging and kind of catching up with friends or with my wife or whatever, if I'm not using my creativity on a regular basis, you know, it starts to diminish a bit. And that's where I think that a lot of people in my industry, I've been interviewing a lot because we're growing again. And it's funny, actually, I've talked to a lot of senior people looking for senior strategy and senior creative roles. And people have come into my company and they've got fancy titles and they've worked at great companies, but they kind of forget how to be creative because they don't have to do it anymore. They spend more time in Gmail and spreadsheets as an exec than they do sort of on the front lines with their team. So that's something that I do in my personal life as well as you know, my wife and I, just this weekend, we made a vision board. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of that before. What exactly did you do? We basically just, we set an intention, which is like by the end of the year, where do we both want to be individually? And then we were looking for some common traits. We went to the store, got like some cork boards, got a bunch of magazines and just went through the magazines and cut stuff out that inspired us. So words, phrases, quotes, we both made a vision board. And at the end, we sort of shared with each other what our individual visions were and then saw how those visions came together. And for us, it was, you know, things like travel experiences and culinary experiences and learning new skills and reconnecting in different ways and spirituality. And, you know, for her, it was yoga. And for me, it was getting back in shape so I could run one mile, much less a half marathon. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, stuff like that. That stuff sounds like kind of up in the air, but like it, it helps you to communicate to each other, like clear goals. Like you said, visions of where you want to go as a couple, right? Absolutely. I think it's, not enough couples communicate that clearly. Well, when you've been married for a half a decade, you, you got to keep things fresh, I guess, right? But yeah, right. I think I answer that not because 
the listeners of this podcast want to hear about my personal life, but rather I want to sort of open this up to give everybody permission to be creative because I think no matter what type of job you have, I think everyone has the opportunity to think differently and to think creatively. And I think that the more that they apply, you know, questioning things, why are things the way that they are? Why do we do things this way? I think that's where new ideas come from is when you challenge the existing structure or the existing process. And, you know, that's ultimately all innovation is, right? It's, it's a novel approach to something, right? So that's how I train my critical thinking and keep it fresh, both for myself and for my teams. And it's so interesting, right? Like this sounds foolish or kind of silly rather you hear it, but so many of our clients will hire us to host and facilitate these idea discussions. I use, I call them idea discussions. I don't like the word brainstorm because I feel like a brainstorm is kind of like, you know, the second season of Mad Men where they're all just kicking ideas around and <laughs> smoking marijuana cigarettes in the second floor of their ad agency in the 70s. But I like the idea of like sort of idea discussions and business building ideas because it creates a space for, for people to play that they don't usually have when they're just sitting around the table in the boardroom. And that's, that's the secret to my own success is just asking the why question, like, why are we sitting around this boardroom table, like staring at this PowerPoint when we're trying to create a product for people to, you know, for parents with five-year-old kids that use their iPhone for more than two hours a day, like that want to stop distractions. Okay. Like that's the problem we're trying to solve. So why are we staring at a PowerPoint? Let's go out and talk to fathers of five-year-olds or mothers of five-year-olds. Right. So that I think is like, I don't mean to trivialize that, which we do, but I just think that it's asking these really simple questions sometimes that I think leads to the kind of outcomes that we all read about in whatever publications or listen on in podcasts or whatever it is. So I hope that's helpful. It does. And I'm kind of curious, as far as like cultivating a creative skill, how would you apply some of these ideas or would you take a different approach for someone who doesn't see themselves as a, uh, a creative in a certain way? For example, like drawing. I don't draw very commonly. And when I do, I can do an okay job, but it takes me a really long time. So what would you recommend to someone who wants to start something new in a creative space and take their idea of themselves from not creative or like that's how they see themselves to being able to develop that skill? So for me, I learned by doing. So let's do something together. So why do you want to learn how to draw? Actually, so I want to be able to do a little bit more specific type of drawing, like cartography, because there is something that is just, I don't know, I find it very relaxing to watch other people draw maps out. Okay. And then also I sometimes play Dungeons and Dragons. And so I like the idea of being able to take the results and actually use it for more than just something I can put on a wall and admire. If we go back to the marathon example, trying to do a little bit of running, like trying to get to a mile, like if you've never run before, it's that like getting off the couch what's the first thing that you do to get to a mile type of thing? Like, that's the kind of question I'm asking. And for my specific example, I want to learn how to draw maps and do a little bit of cartography for the relaxation that it offers when I watch other people do it so I can experience that and then potentially also use the results of my work for D&D and role-playing campaigns. Nice. So for me specifically, I think, you know, I always like to refer people to things that they can read really quickly and that are based in science. So. You know, James Clear is a person that I've looked up to a lot. He has some awesome stuff on like Instagram and books and the whole thing. And he talks a lot about sort of micro 
progress. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Is like it reminds me of like his idea of just going to the gym for five minutes. Yep. Yeah, and building that habit. There's that approach. My approach is a little bit different. So what I like to do is kind of get into making a game out of it. So when I asked him like, why do you learn how to draw? What I was able to really quickly discern was drawing is actually not the thing that he wants. What he wants is relaxation, and what he wants is the ability to have maps that he can use for D and D campaigns. So for me, if the true reason for wanting to learn how to draw was so that you could go out in nature and observe things in their natural habitat and then recreate them with your hand, like if that was the reason I want to learn how to draw, what I would say is I would start in a very different place. If my end goal is I want to find relaxation and have D&D maps, one of the ways to get there pretty quickly is not learning to draw at all, but rather as someone who's maybe digitally savvy, using one of the many online tools for being able to create maps. There's lots of tools out there, you know, lots of stock art out there. So theoretically, if you've got some familiarity with the Adobe suite, which I'd imagine you do, being able to make D&D maps would actually be probably available to you within a couple of Google searches. And then what you could do is say, you know what, instead of learning how to draw, it might take me six months to a year and hundreds of hours of work, which I don't have time for. Perhaps what you can do is say, you know what, I'm going to just take on a meditation practice or an exercise practice, and then I'm going to go make my D&D maps. So you basically take one goal break it down into a series of smaller goals and really realize that like the act of drawing for you in this case is actually not the thing you're trying to do. How I got to that, just as a um, way of thinking, and I want to hear if that's like helpful or not, but how I got to that was sort of breaking out the premise and saying, let me ask you a why question, which was like, why do you want to know how to draw? And then that sparked a topical answer, a surface level answer. And then I asked again, I followed up with the second why. And then sometimes if you can get to sort of five whys or more, and there's a game called Five Whys, which we play a lot, but if you can get to that, what you start to understand is you break out the individual elements. You break down that big hurdle of like, I'm learning to draw. Well, what kind of drawing? And then when you break this down into smaller pieces, then you can sort of attack that through what Elon Musk calls first principles thinking, right? Which is like, let me break down all the individualized principles. And then from there, I can solve the problem very differently. So I don't know if that was helpful just in terms of understanding my thought process or if that might help you with your desire to make D&D maps, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts before I say anything else. Yeah, it does. And I've heard of the five whys and a lot of those different approaches, but I've actually never heard anyone applying all of those combined in that way to like a creative sort of a task or a skill. That's, that's like actually something that I want to do. It's really helpful. So thank you very much. Yeah, anytime. No, always happy to, to riff and stuff. And it's funny, speaking of D&D, I never really got too into it, but after watching the most recent season of Stranger Things, I'm, I'm sort of reconsidering like, you know, maybe I should like call some of my geeky friends when I was a kid and see if it's like a good excuse to get together because I'm a terrible poker player, but I'm sure I can get a bunch of my buddies together to have some drinks and play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So Pete, I wanted to talk a little bit more about managing creative people. What do you do in order to make sure that you deal with certain problems that are unique when it comes to like creative teams and creative work? I love that question. And hopefully this doesn't piss you guys off. But the first way to manage creative people is to stop managing creative people, right? So when you think about like what manage is, like the verb is to be in charge of, administer or run. For me, that's the problem with most of the workforces today is that we try to manage people. In my opinion, the best way to manage a creative person is to understand their deep intrinsic motivations. Like, why do they do what they do? What are the reasons? And then I think instead of trying to manage them, it's how do you enable them? So for me, I'm a huge believer in servant leadership. I don't know if you've heard the term. Yeah, I have. 
Perfect. So really just for the, the audience that might not be as familiar with it, I'm not talking about servitude, but rather what I'm talking about is like being able to understand that as a leader, your job is to serve the people that you lead. And, you know, again, everyone can be a leader, even if they're not managing people. So that's a whole separate conversation. I don't want to get stuck in that rabbit hole. But what I do want to say is that I think that the best way to manage people is to understand what matters to them and understand their purpose. I think it was Daniel Pink that said in his sort of seminal title drive that what people are really looking for is purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And those are the three buckets that people really search for, for being intrinsically motivated to do things. So I think that the problem that I've experienced, both mistakes I've made myself, mistakes I've, that I've watched my former bosses before I started my own thing, and mistakes I see people and my colleagues making is that they try to manage, run, or control people. And that ultimately only gets them so far versus when they try to understand the person, understand the objective and the shared purpose, that creates much more of a structure or a framework for enabling the right environment for things. And for example, let me get specific because you know I don't want to get too high level here. On the specific side, let's say I have two designers and I'm not going to name their designers because my guys and my gals might get a little upset, but I'll say I've got one designer on my team. Let's just take two designers of a very equal skill level. One's very, very introverted. And this particular person, they like to be briefed in advance. They like to have all the information to be able to sit on it at least 48 hours in advance. They want to understand if we're going to have a meeting in a group, what is their role expected to be in that group? You know, Are we expecting them to ask questions? Do we want them to just listen? What is the structure of the meeting? They want all those details, right? And that is intrinsically because... This particular person is much more introverted, much more a processor of information, much more logical side of how they approach creative tasks. And then on the flip side of it, you have another designer here who she's much more extroverted. She's much more kind of connecting dots together real time. And she doesn't like to have everything in advance because she likes to just show up and really connect with people and kind of build on that energy, right? So with me managing both these people, and luckily I have someone right now that reports to me that does manage these people now, but previously, a big part of my job was the job I'm describing to you right now. So if I'm managing these two people, to try to be in charge of them is going to limit their ability to do what they do. Versus if I just ask the question of, hey, in order for you to be excited about this design project, what would need to happen? And then just being able to have that open dialogue and make sure that like my job, as I mentioned, like that plow, right, is to make sure that you clear the path of obstacles. And some of those obstacles are literally just yourself, right? I think as managers, sometimes as directors, we get in the way. We literally get in the way of people. And you know, because we feel like we need to control everything, we end up just sort of squandering things. And what I found is that people don't quit companies, they quit bosses. So I don't ever want to be that boss that tries to come from a... Uh, old school management style. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's how I like to, to manage creative people is by enabling, empowering them and understanding what's important to them and helping to lift them up as opposed to control them. Yeah. And it sounds like in that particular example, it would be really easy to get in the way of at least one person if you want to try and solve a problem for both of them at the same time, making a decision that helps one of them more than the other would just conflict with what the other person needs and wants. How did you come up with a solution? Did you work with them at an individual level and let them then take the results and come together? Or was it something else? So in this particular example, I was just describing uh, two different designers. They happen to be working on different projects. So for me, what I found is that 
if they were both working on the same project, what I would do is offer up the environment where I would say, okay, we're going to distribute the brief or whatever artifact that they want in advance. This way, people can opt into that or opt out of that, sort of like an opt-in sort of approach. And then coming out of that, create some space for more of a collective kind of open discussion of, of thoughts and inspiration, et cetera. And that, that's probably how I would bring those two people together to unify them and then really understand how could we do what you know, we call DOL division of labor. Like, how do we divide up the work in a way where everyone has the same shared purpose, but perhaps the ingredients that they play in the process tend to differ? So that's just what I found to be successful when I look across the transom of like what's working for myself and some of my colleagues and their different businesses. Okay. And I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about how you can uh, divide up work on a group of creative people who are working on a single project. So do you have any uh, general strategies that you use for that? General strategies, yeah. They can be more specific too as well. I'm really good with situational strategic solutions. So give me a situation or a time that, you know, fictional or real that kind of toss that up for me and I might be able to to kind of walk through that so you can see it illustrated. Okay. Maybe it's a, a marketing team who has needs for a bunch of graphics, and then they're going to use them in a lot of different ways. So some of them will be big print, small print, like flyers. Some of them will be used for social media ads. So there are a lot of different outputs. And then for each of the outputs, there are different kinds of constraints, like being printed, you might need to have a little bit more information on there because you won't have a link that people can click on or something like that. But you have a couple of people who are trying to tackle all of this, but not step on each other's toes or repeat each other's work. Absolutely. So the first thing that I like to do in a case like that is get everybody together, make sure that they understand why is this project important. So let's say this is an important client for you that pays a lot of salaries. I'm just making this up, right? So first sit down and get everybody aligned on like, why is this client important? Why is this project important? Both to you as the person kind of assigning the work. And then why is it important to the client? And making sure that you understand that. And then what I then like to do is look at the team I have, whatever the ingredients are. So maybe I got a project manager, a writer, a designer, maybe just a bunch of designers, whatever the mix is. And then what I like to do is I like to look at the different types of things that are required to get the job done. So in the case of this graphics, you need lots of graphics and lots of different formats. I'm assuming that there's some brand that's created here or some guidelines, or are we sort of creating it from scratch? No, let's assume that there's an existing brand. Cool. So if we got an existing brand, you know, there's some rules. Those rules are really good for some designers that like to understand the rules and structure. So maybe there's some color typography composition rules. So then what it really comes down to is what do these graphics or ads or marketing messages or materials need to achieve? And then walking through the constraints for each one. So Let's say that we're doing a banner that's going to be at a baseball stadium because it's, it's a marketing message for this particular company. Understanding the context and where all of these things are going to live and then starting to fill in those blanks and then start to divvy up the tasks. There are some planning tasks that are more kind of logistical related. So like we have these 10 creative formats. We need them in this format, file type, et cetera. That's going to be probably a better job for someone that's a little bit more concrete-minded, more task-oriented, more objective-specific. You know, so in my world, that would be like a production designer or a producer or a PM. And then there's going to be some more like kind of conceptual things because maybe the one of the things is we want all of our marketing messages to be consistent. So when you look at 
all 40 of these different graphics that we want, we want the message to be, what kind of brand was this? Make one up. A soft drink. Perfect. So it's a soft drink. So maybe the message is share a Coke. One of my favorite Coca-Cola campaigns from years ago, right? So maybe it's share a Coke <laughs> with a person's name, right? So every message, no matter what, needs to be about sharing, right? So maybe one of the graphics is designing a coffee mug or a bottle that you're going to put some liquid in or something. Being able to connect all those ideas together, that's going to be more of a conceptual task, right? So I'm going to want someone who's really good at coming up with ideas, really good at kind of concepts, thinking about that. So that's more of an abstract type of thinker. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to pair the abstract thinker with the concrete thinker just so they both feel really valued and that what they're bringing to the table is going to help the group. But at the same time, not limit their ways to collaborate, right? So I would identify and sort of facilitate this like in an open discussion with these groups, like what needs to be achieved by when, why? And then from there, have the group sort of self-select and and self-police the work. My favorite way to work is you get a group of people together, you establish a shared purpose, you you establish some guardrails in terms of what we need by when, and then work with the group to sort of figure out how that work's going to get doled out and broken down. That's my favorite way to work because everyone has a seat at the table at that point. Everyone feels equal. There's not a big hierarchy that gets in the way. Maybe in a case like that, maybe my role in the project is going to be, hey, I brought the client in from Pepsi at one point. That's very real for us, but um, <laughs> so not Pepsi specifically, but a Pepsi brand. So in the case of, let's just say this Coca-Cola analogy, right? So maybe I brought in the Coca-Cola client and I was had a relationship with their creative director or whatever it is. At that point, really, my role might be to translate the needs and wants of the client and act on behalf of the client internally, which typically would be an account management type of function, but let's just for this discussion assume my role that I agree with my team on is that you know one team member is going to build all of the files, one team member is going to do all the initial concepts and rough ideas, and then my job is going to be to evaluate the different pieces of creative to make sure that they connect back to the client's vision, right? So we want to make sure that everyone's got a clear role and a goal, and everyone knows what they're being expected to show up on. And what I found, and let me just be very clear for if anybody's listened to this that has worked with me, it's like, we don't always get this right, right? One of the challenges I think is that in this metaphor, it's really, really easy to discuss it and break it down. But when we're all working on multiple projects and chasing down things, no matter how big of a company you are, everyone has time and resource limitations, right? So being able to sort of break that down, I think is a really important thing to be mindful of. I imagine creating concepts where you can um, have these like checkpoints to review and ensure that the messaging is still consistent along the way. You're following the brands and rules is a way to make sure we're like mitigate that problem from happening. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, of course. And that's, again, that's just this fictional example. I think many of the things that we can, we can sort of work through for sure. So last question before we close out. One of the challenges I have is dealing with like motivation, inspiration, technique, experience, and just pure gumption. How would you rate the importance or how would you prioritize those when it comes to developing a creative skill? For instance, one skill I am continually trying to learn more and more is writing. Sometimes it's a matter of just getting into the habit of writing. Sometimes it's finding something that inspires or motivates you. Sometimes it's technique. Maybe it's just a matter of experience. Like, What's going to help me develop that creative skill even better? I say this not to purposely plug him, but because he's made me a really better writer. So just in that particular case, I would say 
you should just interview James Dowd, who was my creative director here. He's someone that gave me a lot of confidence and courage to do more writing. And I think he's definitely someone that his book I mentioned, Write Dumb, is a really awesome book. But I also really love like Anne Lamott. She wrote a book called Bird by Bird, which is like keep one in every office I have, no matter where it is, because it's just such a great book. But I think it's contextually specific, right? So I always like to say, what is the goal and what's holding me back from the goal? And then what do I know about the goal? So in the case of writing, it's like, well, what kind of writing? It's like ad copywriting, story writing, article writing, like really, really depends. Like if you're trying to have a more active journaling practice just to sort of get relaxation, which is something you mentioned earlier, then perhaps just like writing on your phone or in a diary or whatever it is, or journal, whatever you want to call it, might be fine. But if you're learning, like I want to learn to write long form essays because my goal is I want to one day have a piece of content in the Atlantic or the New York Times or whatever. Like that's a very, very different approach. The same way that if it's like, hey, I want to get back in shape. Well, what does that mean? It's like, well, I want to be able to be healthy and strong and make sure that like my body fat is at a reasonable rate, you know, percentage. I'm looking for lifelong longevity and perhaps like I want to look a certain way. Versus if I'm like, you know what, I'm training for a marathon because I want to prove to myself that I can run more than just a 5K in, in one setting. And that that for me is important. It's almost like basically you need goals that are measurable. Like Otherwise, it's just for nothing because that's what I'm hearing is like you need to have like, okay, what's your purpose for writing? What's your end goal? And then establishing how you go from nowhere to like to that goal. And that's what it sounds like is a big part of reaching that, those creative goals. Is that correct? Somewhat, but I think we get a little too focused sometimes on goals. Okay. And I, I love goals and don't blame me, I'm obsessed with goals. But I think for me, I like to think of it in terms of like intention. Why do I intend to go after this thing? When I have this thing, what's going to be different, right? So that for me is like, I don't need to get all like, yeah, I'm big into meditation. I don't mean to get all like mindfulness on you. But basically what I mean is if you understand the reason why something's important to you, you can sort of approach it from a number of different angles that will help get you there faster. So take your drawing example from before or take this like graphics example from before. If, if I got with my team and we agreed that, we have this client that they want to market toilet paper and they just need like 50 pieces of creative and no one on my team cares about that client, but we have to do it because pay some salaries and making this up, not really applicable to digital surgeons, but it, let's just say, assume it was, right? right? If that's the case, it's like, we might just like go on theme forest and have one of our interns just bust out, take a template and just flip some stuff up. So I think that would not require you to like, hone your writing skills or hone your design skills. So I think for me, I always like to look at like, why do I want this? And what I've learned in my life is a lot of times the reason I wanted to get good at something was like pure ego. It was like, oh, well, like I just want to get good at writing Python because like all the cool kids are, you know, on GitHub talking about these Python packages. And it's like, well, do I really want to write Python because it's going to allow me to do more with like data manipulation, which is a really big passion of mine. Why am I passionate about data manipulation? Oh, well, data manipulation is really important now because all these apps are doing these things. So I think going down that line of thinking, applying that critical thinking skill we talked about earlier, I think is really important because then people start to understand why is it important to them? Because I think more often than not, we get stuck on goals sometimes. And I think we chase the goal so hard, we forget the reason we're chasing the goal. And the statement that I always think of for myself is like, what is it about the journey that I can learn from or that I want to be on? Because most of the goals I've set in my 20s I hit most of them, not all of them, but 
most of them are just in pursuit of something else altogether. So I think micro goals are really a good place to start. And that's that James Clear stuff that I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, we did uh, a couple of episodes on Atomic Habits. And uh, if listeners ever want to recap that, you can uh, check out our show notes. We'll have links to those two episodes as well. Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really fantastic to hear about your experience and some of the tips that you have when it comes to creativity. Thank you so much. It was really awesome to be here. I feel like I walked away with more questions than answers, so I'm super grateful for that. Well, that goes to show you this was a productive conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, guys, it was awesome being on the show. Definitely shoot me a link when it goes live. would love to, to share it with some folks, and hopefully I did a good job today. You did a fantastic job. And if you wouldn't mind, where would you like people to go online to find you and learn more about you? So obviously our company is online at Digital Surgeons. So digitalsurgeons.com is our site, which we're still getting around to updating, but it's got some good stuff on there, I think. I'm personally on Twitter and Medium at, at Pete Sena, P-E-T-E-S-E-N-A. And then obviously for those of you that I do know, happy to link in with you as well, but I try to only link with people I actually know. Awesome. Right on. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to OK Productive, where we banter about the basics of productivity. You can find us online at okproductive.com or on social media at OK Productive on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All right. Thanks for listening.